Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAG is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAG, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the Rogue Report Extra podcast. Once again, it's me, James Lawson, sitting in for Graham. And I'm delighted to say I've been joined by Nick from Argyle Life to discuss all things Sunderland Plymouth. Nick, how Hi, you everyone. doing, mate? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, really well, really well. Um, a lot's changed since Sunderland last played Plymouth all the way back at the start of November. At the time, it was sort of, we were coming towards the end of our really nice win streak. And you guys were right down there in League One. So I was just wanting to sort of get a sense of what's changed in the last four months. Not not too much has changed. Our, our current position is very much as a result of our form since Burton, since uh, the final game of 2018. We went on a run of winning, I think it was five out of five. But the performances weren't actually all that fantastic, really. The big difference was that all of a sudden we just started finishing chances. Uh, I can't really say that... I usually expect that an uptake in results is equated, you know, it's because of an uptake in performances, but it just really wasn't that. Ruben Lemiris out of nowhere just started finishing, not every chance that came his way, obviously, but he, he just went on goal, uh, goal spree. And we had others who started to chip in. And even though we weren't really creating any great chances with any, with much consistency, they just, the goals just kept coming in. And with that came the points. Things have started to slow down a bit, and especially in recent weeks. Um, before we played Rochdale, who are quite frankly just they were just a shambles. I think if if, if you look at the PAFC hashtag from Saturday, it, half the comments were "what a performance," and the other half were "oh my word, how how poor were Rochdale." But if you take Rochdale out of the equation, you're looking at one open play goal in in five games. It really, you know, sums up that continued relatively poor level of performance, but high level of finishing. My worry is for my worry is that we're, as we're coming out of that, you know, you get those spells of finishing where you know a player hits form, they just start putting the chances away. My worry is that as we come out of that period of good finishing, you know, the results going to drop off again because obviously the performances weren't there until then. Yeah, we've we've kind of had 
a similar thing where at the start of the season, especially on that win streak that um, mm. that we went on sort of November, December time where Madger was just, yeah, scoring goals through people's legs, burying any chance he got anywhere yeah. in the box. He was just, he was on fire. And I think part of that is just that the guy's, the guy's really talented. He's just got a knack for putting the ball in the net. But yeah, all the ana- that way. yeah, all the analytics models, all, all the all the betting models were like, watch out, watch out, you're gonna come back down to earth at some mm. point. And I think the one thing we've got which sort of allows us to get away with it a bit more is we've just got a lot of good individual players. Because if it wasn't Madger, maybe it would be Maguire one week. If it wasn't Maguire, maybe McGeady it would have been Lind- Yeah, McGeady's the obvious one, and he's he's the one who's obviously just re-hit form now and then Lyndon Gooch at the start of the season looks mm. like a Terminator, not so much anymore, but we kind of have a similar thing where we had a run of 10 games where we only scored one goal per game that we've just come out of now. And that was kind of a similar thing where it was a bit yeah. like coming back down to work, the finishing bug kind of went away. I know what you mean, because having seen the way you played and sort of throughout the season, in particular that game against Argyle, so the one opportunity I got to you know, sit down and watch the full 90 and look specifically how you play. I must admit I was a bit disappointed because you sort of compare it to Blackburn and Wigan last season and their approach was that they built, they both built teams that, you know, very much dominated possession, but combined that with creative attacking football to cut through teams. So when Wigan visited us last season, they were ruthless. You know, they just cut on through our midfield uh, on a number of occasions. Um you know, their teams were made up of those players who broke the midfield line with a high-risk pass or a dribble and created the space to attack the defence. And to my mind, Sunderland haven't really done that. When I've watched their highlights, you know, I didn't really see you creating big chances by cutting through the defence. It, it seems an awful lot like you're relying on set pieces, you know, crosses, and like you said, those brilliant finishes, the shots from Maguire and McGeady outside the box. Um, it's part of the reason why I don't think Rook will perform as well for you, because I don't think you need a finisher. I think it's your midfield and your style of play. And, you know, Honeyman, Casmol, and Ledbet are, all, uh, Ledbet are all quite fine at maintaining possession and will work hard to protect the defence. But I don't see any as creative players in the sort they're going to make a late... You know, the Honeyman makes good late runs into the box and scores. But I don't think they offer the same sort of incisive passing and dribbling that, that you need to really stand out and top the league like Luton do. Yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely struggling for an identity, whether that's sort of the whole overhaul of the amount of players that came in and out, Jack Ross coming in, but we've definitely mm. struggled for an identity all season. And luckily we've got so much individual talent. It hasn't burnt us yeah. too much and we're still well in the hunt coming, but that's definitely true that we're struggling for an identity because at the start of the season, it was very much, we're going to, I think we really tried to sort of impose our will to prove we're the best team in the league. Mm. A lot of short passing, a lot of pressing, a lot of trying to, dominate the ball and what we found was we we were struggling to earn the right to play we were conceding a lot really? of early goals we were conceding yeah I think I think we had a problem where especially as our defenders would want too many touches on the ball they'd want to mm. they'd, they'd go away from home and they'd expect to sort of be able to settle into games and like we got hit with an yeah. early goal against Wimbledon hit with an early goal against Gillingham I feel as if maybe we were a bit arrogant in our approach. And I feel we made a real conscious effort, especially sort of around the time of our win streaks, maybe a bit more direct, maybe a bit more safety first, maybe try yeah. and play percentages a bit. And to be fair, it worked for a while, but you're right. I mean, part of the problem was Maguire and McGeady kind of 
and maybe two of our best attackers. And they're both players who want to play in front of the defence and want to sort of try and take people on and create that bit of magic and wait for the perfect pass. And I kind of, for a while, felt, Gore, we need, we need to stop playing these two. But like, we switched up, we switched up formations, we sort of dropped Maguire out of the squad at one point and nothing really seemed to work. We still seemed to struggle. And then against Aquinton, when we drew toward them, Maguire came on at halftime, changed the game, and you thought, actually, we're, we're onto something here. Maguire, like, being dropped, lit a fire up his ass. He's going to go for it. And then he Was goes that down the 2-2 just a few weeks back? Yeah, and then he goes down yeah, yeah. injured game after that. And we're sort of back to square one, really. But, yeah, no, that's been a big bonus set pieces because we didn't score from any all season long. And now... Grant Ledbit has come into the team and he's just completely transformed us to a team that now look dangerous from set pieces. We brought in Jimmy Dunn as well. He's a big, tall lad. And that's gone from being a weakness to a strength really overnight. So that's, yeah, maybe something. But yeah, no, that the, the lack of runners into the box is definitely a thing. And yeah, sort of like Honeyman being injured when sort of the goals dried up, I thought maybe he changed that and he kind of hasn't since he came back. I'd say we are. Well, you, you talk about the, the set pieces. Um, first off, I think, I mean, look at Eng- England World Cup. Being set piece side isn't necessarily a bad thing. And a lot of low league teams get a lot of traction out of that. And in particular, I think that might be a, a really good source for you against Argyle because it's so Carl Leatherhan, one of the big trends that people um, will point to since Burton, since that upturn in form, is Carl Leatherhan's entrance into the team. And I debate that to an extent because I, I think some of the things are correlation, not causation, that people are, you know, um, you know, they're saying that he's this when he's not. But he's certainly been better at, um, at shot stopping. But his main weakness has been dealing with crosses and set pieces. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a microwave ping in the background. Uh, dealing, with, um, dealing with crosses and set pieces. If you want a prime example of that, um, you just need to look at our one nil defeat to, to Wickham. And the goal in particular, there's no no pressure on him. Ball straight and in, whipped into the six yard area. He comes, he misses it, or rather, I think it's it's flicked away from him before he even gets there. But he's just not commanding in his area, um, especially yeah from crossing set pieces. So I'll be I'll be surprised if you didn't get one from that route, given your recent trend and our you know our keeper's apparent weakness in that area. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we're just so happy because it was like getting to the point where you can almost feel the groans when we had corners and we couldn't really put our finger on why why it was going so badly. So that has been a big change. I was wanting to touch on sort of Plymouth season because I was having a look and you guys were ninth favourites coming into the season, missed out on the playoffs last year. I was just sort of wanting to get a sense sort of what Plymouth fans have made of this year? Is is there a disappointment? Is there sort has this been a reality check? Sort of what have you guys made of your season so far? So I mean obviously there isn't a unified opinion among the fan base. You've got about yeah, I'm I'm sure there's about fifty different mm. competing strands and ideas ranging from Adams's problem to it's all James Brent's fault, which which was always ridiculous. He, he's the former chairman. Um he he brought in um let's call it austerity, i.e. let's not spend more than we earn sort of thing but yeah. people uh, certain people have effectively claimed that he was siphoning money out of the club which he wasn't he just wasn't spending what we didn't have and he didn't have money to put into the club but so aside from those those wider theories i mean 
So last season, our run to the playoffs was basically predicated on 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 a really good team. Just just the starting eleven was excellent. Um, so we we had Ryan Taylor. These names gonna probably mean nothing to you, I should imagine, or at least your listeners anyway. We had a guy called Ryan Taylor up front. He's very good at holding the ball up. He's very uh, good in the way he moves the yeah. ball around. We had a, a David Fox sitting as our deepest line midfielder, sort of a PLO role. He's got yeah, a lot of defensive yeah, weaknesses. Yeah. yeah, he's the one name I thought you'd know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> David Fox sitting deep, very good passer, but clear defensive weaknesses. And so we protected him with Jamie Ness. Um, to the, well, we had Jamie Ness and Anthony Sass, which was just ahead. Those who did all the defensive work, but they're not really as good with the ball. So, you know, Fox, what we did was he accentuated each other's strengths. Fox brought the passing. They brought the hard work, the defense, the mobility, the late runs into the box, especially from Sarsvich. But the two key figures in that run, Graham Carey, Ruben Lamiras, they were just floating inside forwards. They'd turn up wherever you, you know, wherever they liked really they wouldn't play as orthodox wingers you'd often see two on one wing and none on the other and you know this system was just fantastic it was basically built around caring Lemires will create chances for players in the team I think they averaged about well well over one each game which is sounds like not much but over the course of the season that's that's a lot um <laughs> sorry and uh right. so rather than having a key goal scorer it would have people creating chances for everyone which is how we spread the goals around that team has played a grand total of zero minutes this season. That team was essentially that that start that front six rather Taylor Fox, Sarsvich, Ness, Kerry Lemiris, zero minutes together through injury and selection choices. Basically, that's a main reason why Argyle failed to live up to the early season hype. If you could go back and read Argyle Life's awesome season preview, I think we had them around tenth or eleventh, but just hasn't happened. That's been my main reason why we haven't why we haven't been up there anywhere near as we were last season as much we probably should have been but there have been good trends to come through so Freddie Ladapo has been were well, debatable uh, you've got large portions of the fan base who are very much in favour and say he's out, outright our best striker just based on his goal scoring record you've got the rest of us who would turn around and say Taylor makes Karen Lemiris play better and Karen Lemiris can create chances off him which makes the entire team better so unsurprisingly, Karen Lemiris's chance creation is down. Um, in fact, minus Rochdale, I think they've made about one, I think it was one open play chance between them in five games, which really sums up their more limited influence. If if, if you're going to look at why Argyle is suffering, it's because last season we put we got the ball into their feet in advanced positions, and this season they're picking up in wider, deeper positions. They're having to carry it further. They're having fewer midfield runners around them to pick out. They've just got to do more work to create chances. And that's been the main issue, which is okay. why when we've had periods of good finishing, that's what's you know, propelled us up. And has Ladapo been an automatic pick pretty much the whole way through the season? Has it always been him and then whoever else is fit around him? Or has Taylor well, been tried in, in place of him? Taylor started the season. He played the first two games. Uh, we lost, but we really should have won. I mean, looking back on that the opening day of the season against Warsaw, we, yeah, we really should have won that game. It was a decent performance. There was nothing especially wrong with it, but the next performance wasn't very good uh, against Southend. Not sure how we drew it. <laughs> Conversely, we probably should have lost 4-0. Um, and then the next game after that, Ladapo came in just for the cup against Bristol City. We won one nil. Ladapo didn't play especially well. He was playing up against two fullbacks and still didn't win most of his headers. Um, 
uh, fullbacks or centre backs that is. But then because we won, Derek Adams does not like to change a winning team, and he stayed in the team. And Ladapa hasn't been dropped ever since. But part, large part of that was Taylor getting injured, but Taylor should have been brought back in before then. And since he was, I think he was a bit too afraid to drop Ladapa because he was in good goal scoring form. Thinks also because he likes him. Um, and Ladapa just Taylor's been fit now since I think it must I think it must be November since since we lost five one to Luton. But Taylor started alongside him a couple of times, but otherwise it's been Ladapo first choice. And really, Ladapo, there are times when he should have been dropped because Taylor's come off the bench and improved things in a number of games. Um, not that they've necessarily affected good results, but you know, you're not always going to affect a good result, even if you've had a good performance. Um, but Ladapo, like you say, has been undroppable, really. I, I think in Adams' mind, he is probably undroppable now. And I'm not sure if he's quite as good as Adams. I think Adams rates him as one of the best strikes in the division. And he's possibly a very good finisher. He's got fantastic movement, but his finishing itself isn't actually that great. And his, you know, his general play is nowhere near the same. That's harsh. It's not as good as Taylor's. It has a negative impact on the way we play. So I expect when we play Sunderland at the weekend, Sunderland will probably hold more of the ball. You'll see more long balls up to Ladapo. Ladapo has improved the rate at which he wins aerial duels in recent weeks. I think it's jumped from 30% to 40% in the last since January. But he's still not especially good at guiding that to a teammate. And yeah. he's still not especially good at actually holding up and bringing players into play at the right time. So he might make a few passes here and there, but they're not going to be as effectual, uh, as effective, or yeah, they're not going to be as effective, basically. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised, sort of that that sort of yeah, Ladapo isn't sort of seen as the main man because he's obviously the first name on the team sheet that sort of stands out. I remember we were linked with him on deadline day. Yeah, we were linked with everyone yeah. on deadline day. But I remember sort of looking at his goal scoring record. Remembering the two times I saw him that even though he sort of flitted in and out of the games, that his touch was so good that he looked like <laughs> his real, touch really good. Very good. Really, he's 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 a good dribbler. Okay, first touch isn't good. Uh, yeah. well, it's another thing where he's way up on Taylor. He can take on a man and beat him quite easily. He's got the speed. He's not only got the speed because a lot of strikes have the speed, but he's got the skill with the ball at his feet to actually take on and beat someone. But first touch wise, playing the ball into him, not very good. I think a fair few times in our player ratings, he's been described as having the touch of a trampoline. So, okay, it it must be the close control that's just sort yeah. of winning me over because it was him and. It was him and Grant at home park, and I think both of them had pretty good games. I think with both of them, their final ball let them down a couple of times, but both of them sort of against Baldwin and Flanagan had their moments where we were sort of on our back foot, especially in the first half when the game was quite open. I remember thinking, Gore, these two are are a bit better than what we've been used to playing against. I find it surprising you say that because I personally thought Sunderland were in a lot more control in that in that first half. I thought it was only it's from the moment you scored that we looked that we looked like we had a bit more control of possession and we pushed forward until then we barely registered a threat. So I you know I'm surprised you say that, but being that I, I suppose the difference is that you're sat there worrying what we're gonna do and we're sat there worrying what you're gonna do. So we're probably focusing on Yeah, yeah I think that's probably it. I remember as well it was like at the first half I remember sort of thinking, God, nothing's nothing's happened here. And then looking at my phone, looking at the sort of the writers chat. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's a really good game, this. Like, both teams are knocking it about. And I remember thinking, well, I was I was quite bored. Like, it was, yeah. it was a weird game. It was a weird game. But, yeah, like, 
weren't many chances because I think Maguire had a shot from about 40 yards. And yeah. I think there might have been a, a close range effort. So I can't quite remember. the, But there, there weren't really any chances until until McGeady smashed in from about 20 yards on the angle. Yeah. Nothing, nothing really happened chance creation-wise. It was a bit of a midfield battle and long shots. That was yeah, bad. I think it was just after we'd beat Southend 3-0 with Maguire scoring like the most ridiculous 30-yard top corner screamer. And it felt a bit <laughs> like, like we were having a... Yeah, yeah. It felt a bit like we were having a goal of the season competition rather than trying to win a football match at times. I think him and Gooch were both really doing my head in with some of the shots they were taking. But yeah, that McGeady goal is one that I rewatched it yesterday and I, I forgot how good it was. I forgot like quite how far away from goal he was. It was just like an arrow. Week of foot two, straight into the corner. It, yeah. It was a fantastic shot. Um, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I'll tell you, we scored some good goals against Rochdale just just last weekend. Um, we, I tell you, we, oh, eight, eight goals wouldn't have been unfair. Rochdale were a shambles. I, I, <laughs> I, I imagine a fair few Sunderland fans can look at that and think, oh, they're right in top form. But well, there are two sides looking at it. One, Ro- Rochdale were really bad. Within, within about 10 minutes, you could see Argyle was starting to swarm around them. But then you look at our three behind Ladapo, Sarsvich, Lamiris, and Kerry had fantastic games. Yeah. It was like they were just, they. it was almost like they'd been prepped. They knew that Rochdale had weaknesses and they just set out to expose them. They kept trying to play intricate balls through the midfield. They kept taking them on, dribbling past them. But it, it was helped by the fact that this reference will probably be lost on some of your listeners, but it was like playing three David Foxes in midfield and that. All of them could pass. All of them were quite yeah. comfortable on the ball, but their defensive positioning, it was far too easy to suck them out of position, run into the position, and then pass it into them. And that yeah, was very we, much the source of our play. Yeah, we played the majors ago, and I just remember it being one of those games where they kept the ball, we didn't really look at it, and then they just made three ridiculous defensive headers, and we were freeing it up like 10 minutes before half time, and that was the game. They just what I would recommend... Chances. I would recommend going back and watching their red card because it's as hilarious as it is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Ethan Evans Landell who, quite frankly, shouldn't be in League One after the season <laughs> he had last year. He slips over. I think he tries to intercept a, a through ball from Lemiris. He's not going to get there, so he just sticks his hand up and scoops it away as Ladapo is about to run clean through. It was more. I'm so glad it was sent off because what a stupid thing to do. Um, <laughs> what was the score then, at this stage? That was at 1-1. Uh, we should have gone in about 3-0 up at halftime. And uh, that was right after Ryan Edwards, who'd actually been really good in um, ever since he came back into the team, really. <laughs> Played a short back pass. So out of nowhere, Rochelle equalised, having yeah. you know, really been rubbish. Then they looked, got on the front foot like they do well. Then they had a man sent off. They still looked like they were going to score. We scored a very debatable goal because... It's quite clear that Kerry blocked the clearance with his arm and it bounced straight to Edwards, mm-hmm. who'd given away the goal to slam in. But the question is, is it intentional handball? How close is he? I'd, I would have given the free kick. Yeah. I don't think it should have stood. And then minutes after, probably a few minutes after that, actually, a head forward by Songo. And their other centre-back, I think it was Delaney, slips and allows Ladapo to run clean through and score <laughs> again. So two massive errors on their part and obviously a massive error on our part. It, honestly, it's defensive errors left, right and central. It's rubbish. Rubbish yeah, defending. We need we need more teams like that between between now and the end of April. We all, all the defensive errors are, are welcome for Sunderland. Um, so whilst we were talking about the game and and sort of at home park, I think one thing that stood out that a lot of 
Sunderland fans picked up on was sort of Derek Adams after the game, and and he was he was a little bit salty. I think I read I read back that's through Derek the... Adams all over. Really? Yeah, yeah. You, there's probably there's probably not a uh, football league club that we played against that he hasn't rubbed up the wrong way, uh, including Liverpool for that matter. Uh, when we when we rocked up and drew nil with Liverpool and literally put. 11 men behind the ball for the entire game. I think we had our one shot, which, which flew miles wide. I think went out for, our first shot went out for a throw-in with that defensive. He turned up and said, yeah, that was the best defensive display I've ever seen at Anfield. That, that, I think as far as I remember, that was the direct yeah. quote. He said that live on BT to Jake Humphreys, I think. <laughs> so what's, what's, so what's sort of the opinion of him within Plymouth fans? Um, is he one of these where it's like, if he's your manager, you love him or? Or is he sort of somebody who took a bit of flack this season? Uh, he's taken well. He's taken a lot of flack a fair few seasons actually because his stupid comments and yeah, I think you would have to term some of them stupid. Like for example, when when we beat Mansfield two 0 he allegedly t- he denies it. But Steve Evans came out in his press conference and said that Adams had turned to him and said that he was the best manager outside the Premier League. Just <laughs> just to wind him up. Oh. Um, whether he said that or not, it's very much in keeping with his personality. So some of his comments just they don't help him because not all of the fa- you know you get the fans who want to fish for reactions and so forth who really enjoy it, really enjoy winding up other opposition yeah. fans. But yeah, yeah. then you get many of us who just look at it and think that's just I, that does nothing. I mean, I'm just a little bit embarrassed by you saying that. There's no real need. And then so when. Things go. I basically the knives are ready whenever things go bad. What, earlier in the season, it was you could barely find a voice saying no on Adams to stay. There, there were some, but they were very quiet. They, they, they came back out obviously when the results turned around. But I, I don't think people will be too disappointed if Adams left at the end of the season. I know a lot of people have said to me that they think he will. I, I don't think he's going at all. I think he, he fits in number one with a financial model. He operates really well within that self-sustaining model that we're trying to run with. I mean, that's a major reason why he'll stay. Another is that he has been successful. You can't deny that. And so even when I really wanted to say Adam's out, I or I think I uttered it a few times, but in general, he, he's a net positive for the club. Even if the club's playing poorly, we could bring in someone else who wouldn't be able to do as well with the limited resources. I think that's the key thing too. Okay, I, yeah, and that's good because that is something else I wanted to touch on is that kind of been Plymouth's model because obviously I think with a lot of Sunderland fans, we'll remember sort of the tussles that we had with you guys sort of 10, 12 years ago when we were last in the championship, sort of under yeah. Keenan McCarthy and Plymouth sort of being one of these teams that were kind of fighting out towards the bottom of the championship. And obviously you've had struggles in the past with finances. Has that kind of been the transition now to where you're so, so- doing things a bit smarter or... So what basically happened was around so we got uh, we got promoted 2003 2004 first two I think it was the first off the top of my head because I'm Tamla did these stats in a little while but the first two seasons we sort of operated within this financial model of yeah we'll invest a bit more but not going over the board over the top but then Holloway came in and he increased the spending Ian Holloway I assume the you all know is yeah, um, Holloway yeah, came in he increased the uh, he increased the spending um, yeah he got us to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup in his season. Um, you know, things were looking up. We were knocking on the door of the um, of the playoffs for a bit, and then dropped away. I oh, know we didn't. We we had a really good end to the season. That was it. Um, then the next season, we were running well. We must have been around. We must have been around eighth when he left us for Leicester. 
And we, you know, we just got to the stage where people started to believe and that belief really didn't help in the end because it meant that the top to bottom, everyone wanted to invest more money to just bridge that yeah. gap and get, you know, get promotion. We were close to the playoffs at the end of that season and had it not been for a mass exodus in January, we would have. And essentially that just went on and on until eventually, it always happens, finances don't guarantee success. And so we spent a lot of money on a bunch of players who weren't very good and all of a sudden we're in a relegation scrap. We have to get rid of all these players, but no one wants to take them on. And we've got massive debts now piling up. I think we ended up with £18 million worth of debt compared to a turnover of £10 which, I mean, doesn't sound too much compared to most championship teams, but for us, it just was a lethal combination. We got relegated. We still had a lot of big earners on, and it just went like that until eventually we got relegated from League One, having been in administration. That was what took us down. We had to sell virtually the entire team, and it took a long time to rebuild that model. Even with the self-sustaining model, we ran deficits the first two years. But in the last four years, Brent first and now Hallett have stabilized the club. So we are looking at a you know, only spend what you have model. And for now, it's, currently it's working. But I think a lot of that has got to be down to Adams because it hasn't been investment to help him build the squad. He's What he's done is he's brought, brought in free agents. Graham Carey in particular is the most notable one. He's brought in free agents who have improved the team without blowing the budget. Um, I, I can't see us ever leaving that model under the current premiership of um, Hallett. It's only if a big investor comes in, which we've been waiting for for quite a while now. Yeah. Having said that the last one to do that <laughs> were the Japanese who came in and destroyed us in the first oh, place. Wow. <laughs> they were, um, it was the, the Japanese consortium, I can't remember who, Kagami maybe, I can't remember the names of them. Um, said they were building on the trends that had been going for a while of spending more, but they just weren't willing to cover the losses. Yeah, yeah, so, that always seems to be the way, sort of grand ideas. When, when football clubs get ruined, it always seems to be just, yeah, flying too close to the sun. Sort exactly. Of, yeah, going for it, and then all of a sudden, well, it's it's not their club. If it all goes wrong, it's not it's not their problem. Yeah, long. I mean, also it's like you know you've got this long term problem. It just takes that one short term trigger, and then it's going to explode the entire situation. So we're you know we were running more and more deficits. It just took you know one situation where they we were short of money. They weren't willing to invest it, and then gone. And a lot of championship clubs currently are running a model that's you know dangerous. And a few of them are going to get stung. Yeah. Portsmouth obviously had the same problem where they had big debts and owners came in and then just wouldn't pay up or couldn't pay up. So it's something that obviously you've got your own history with bad finances. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we've still got contracts that no one wants to touch on our books. I mean, Catamol, to be fair, he's come back into the team and he's doing well. But the, the plan was not for him to be here this season. But yeah, football absolutely. clubs are getting smarter now. It's like people saw him in the championship last year and didn't want anything to do with him. Even McGeady, who's brilliant, the, the plan was probably for him not to be here. Yeah. But championship clubs, ambitious championship clubs, will look at him at 32, think about how long he's been playing football and think, well, we can't really play him in the Premier League and he's just not quite worth those wages to us. I mean... It's also like you look at the money that's coming into the championship now. They they can reach abroad and get more and more foreign players. So and then the League One clubs can't afford them. So there's no incentive for them to leave. Yeah. Like Jack Rodwell, you know, no one really wanted to touch him. And why would why would he? I mean, as selfish as horribly selfish as it was, and I think we're all absolutely. It's watch. I mean, I'm not going to properly bring up the Netflix documentary because I'm sure everyone who comes on talks about it every week. But just watching that was 
I, I, I can't imagine there are many fans across the country who aren't shaking their heads in disbelief of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, well, he, he was, yeah, it got to the point where we were sick of him, we were fed up with him. But then, then he did the Daily Mail interview in sort of November saying, yeah, talking about all the sort of ways he'd been wronged by the club and stuff. And it's like, what are you talking about? It but doesn't yeah. add up. Yeah, Even if yeah. he had been wronged by the club, it, I mean, you're the net negative there. Yeah. I'm sure the club has done some things to damage you in some ways, but you are the more of the problem than they are. Yeah, no, it's 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 crazy because Martin Bain is probably sort of 70%, 80% um, disliked in Sunderland, but I think every fan had sympathy with him for that bit on deadline day where he slams the door yeah. shut because Rodwell's staying. That was like, his Q rating must have probably tripled in Sunderland in like the yeah. few weeks after that just because of that moment because it was like, oh yeah, we can as much as we didn't like what he did, we can completely relate to that and that moment. But yeah, no, it was it, the, the Rodwell stuff I knew was going to annoy me. Lewis grabbing, revealing himself to be that much of a prick was a bit of a, bit of a shocker, but the Rodwell stuff, um, we all saw coming. Yeah. Um, I, I say I'm surprised. I, I thought, I thought Bain that was came across quite well on, on the, uh, on the documentary, but then I listened to, well, obviously I assume that he wasn't come across that well, in real life, because when you look at the stewardship that he was manning, the you know the way he's running the club and what happened to the club, you know he's got to be a main factor in what's happening there. But still, I thought he came out well on the documentary. But then, obviously, listen to last week's Roker report, um, the with a what was it um, gas chat, and uh, listen to uh, I can't who who was standing in last week. It would have been Graham. It would have been Graham. Graham's the usual host. Yeah, listening to him saying that he thought he was a good actor, I thought that's quite the accusation to make. What are you sort of in line with that? That you thought he I'm, came off better than he should have, or I'm, I'm, I'm sure he cared. I think the problem I had is it looks like it, on the documentary and sort of the four well seventy three guys have said this in interviews. They thought he had an impossible job. My argument is he made the job. 10 times harder than it needed to be with the appointments he made, with the people he put around him, with the lack of a transfer strategy he had in place, with the way he handcuffed managers. So it's like, yeah, he had an incredibly difficult job that he was carrying out, but he made it hard on himself through the bad decisions he made. And and that was stuff that predates the Netflix documentary stuff. Like yeah. Quentin David Moyes firing people, to clear the way for Simon Grayson, who then wasn't really like, it's quite funny in the documentary when he's talking about how he brought in all these players on small wages for small fees to Preston. And it's like, he did the absolute opposite here. He brought in a load of players on freeze on big wages that were well past their peak. And it's like, we would have quite liked that, Simon. You might have you might have survived a bit longer if you'd done your <laughs> done your pressing it's, thing here. It's like, that's very much what Adams, what Derek Adams has done very well for Argyle, which is you know picking up your bargain your bargain transfers really and turn them into something and playing you know really playing to their strengths. That's that's one of Adams's key abilities, or it's what he's done very well. So take Sonny Bradley for example. He was, as far as I remember, he was heading for a national league side when he joined us in League Two. Yeah, we played a deep line. He, he, you know, his he's the obvious weakness is that he's very tall. He's very good in the air, but he's very slow. He's slow to turn. 
So we played a deep line. We didn't let people get in and around behind him. He dominated the box. We forced him to put crosses in. He headed them away. And we're a very set-piece oriented side. We put lots of set-pieces into him. He scored seven goals first season. I think it was three goals second season. And ended up moving to Luton. We've done a very similar thing, but a different way. But, that, you know, his weakness is, you know, being run up by people. So what do they do? They dominate possession. They, you know, crowd around and don't let people to run directly at him. So I've just done a lot of that with a lot of players. Just, you know, bring them in, play to their strengths and let them shine and what they do what they're good at. So, do you, do you think the approach to the game away from home will change at all from Adams? Because like I saw, we sort of touched on earlier, it was quite an open game. I mean, you guys really poured it on at 1-0 after we scored and it felt like you really tried to sort of take us on at home. Do you think you'll be a bit more cautious or can we expect similar? I'm expecting cautious for... I do one very simple reason is that we've been far more cautious away from home. If if you look at our <coughs> sorry, if you um if you look at our recent performances, well, I think you'd see that our you know our winning streak is very much based around winning at home more than anything else. We take more shots at home, we complete more passes at home. I'm not sure if it's the home crowd, if it's the way he's setting up to play, if he's expect if other sides are coming down and being more defensive when they reach when they get to home park. I'm not entirely sure, but we're far more open at home and we're a more dangerous side. We play deeper when we're away. You know, your classic just shut up shop and then try to get something on the counter and treat it as though, you know, it's hostile territory and you should be going for, you know, a point's good on the road and win at home. I don't, I don't think it's quite that, but away performances have definitely been different to home performances. Like we've had nil-nil with Bradford, created nothing. Peterborough, we looked very, very, to be honest, we didn't look like creating anything until they had a man stupidly sent off at halftime for slapping our player in the face. He <laughs> was the guy who was separating them as well from uh, Ivan Tony tried to get in Ryan Edwards' face. Lee Tomlin, who'd probably been the best player on the pitch, bar Tony until then, walked over, broke them up, and threw, not completely threw his elbow in the face, but more than enough to uh, warrant a second yellow card. And from then on, we looked good, but until then, we've been poor. Wickham, didn't score, barely created, long shot from distance hit the post, same from Bra- same as Bradford. South End's the only difference, and that's partly because they played a suicidal high line. <laughs> I think they they played it against a few teams this season. The suicidal high line didn't help them on a number of occasions, but otherwise you just keep going back. Burton, one more draw, should have lost 3-0. 2-0 actually would have been fair. Didn't deserve to score. Wimbledon lost. You just are away from home, not as good as at home. I, and that's the main reason why I expect Sunderland to be more of a favourite going into this than they were earlier in the season. Yeah, that's, Let, that, that's a bit of a shame, really, because we've had just a series of games. I think everyone, because we probably got one of the bigger pitches in League One, we extended it in the summer, I think, to max it out after Grayson. Grayson wanted us to play narrow last year, and a lot of teams will. They'll give us the first 40 yards. They'll let our centre-backs have it. And they'll just try and cut off balls into midfield. They'll try and force our centre-backs to beat them. And and one of the frustrating things has been watching our centre-backs kind of think that they're Franz Beckenbauer and uh, continuously ping 40-yard <laughs> balls out, out of play for throw-ins. But um, yeah, that that dynamic sort of, yeah, that's that's a bit annoying. I was hoping, especially coming off <laughs> your thumb in the Rochdale, you might you might go go for it and it might make for an open game, which is something... We tend to do well in because we've got a good shot stopper, stopper goalkeeper. If the game's open, it tends to be 
our lads who come out on top if it's going to be another another arm wrestle that could be a long afternoon well you're likely to see is um the, i think the one of the main reasons is when you look at our midfield and I, we, we have work actually uh, something i've just realized that i haven't mentioned yet is that sarsovic who's been very important in this run uh, that we've been on is suspended he's suspended for the next two games so we're not actually sure what what formation we're going to see on saturday because we don't have a like for like to come in to replace him he, he he's more he's a bit similar to honeyman i'd say in that he's good at making late runs into the box but he's more of a midfielder playing in an advanced position than he is say like a creator playing an urzil position for example um okay, we, yeah, that, we don't really have anyone sense, else yeah. we don't have anyone else who's going to come in and play play like that particularly anyone else who's uh, obviously fit. What we probably do have, what I'd imagine the choice will be to bring in Oscar Threlkel, who's a defensive midfielder, and play three more defensive midfielders. So we're taking out another attacking influence and um, playing even deeper. But I, I, that's something we're going to have to wait and see because you know, I really don't know what he'll do to fill that gap. I don't know if we have a different formation, special, like one specially for some. He deliberately changed the formation to a diamond to match up their diamond. Um, so I'd still, ex- I, it could well be a four-three-two-one in the sense, or a four-three-three more likely. Um, that sees Fox deepest and Threlkeld and Songo ahead of him, just shutting everyone down, defending and closing things down. I would really expect to see a tough, rugged game, but that could change based around who actually throws in. He could put a second striker up there and throw a complete curveball in, though I doubt it. Um, how, how are Plymouth defensively general this season? How, how have you guys got on in terms of, are you going to be the team that ends our 40-odd game streak of scoring in league games? Have you got a 40-game streak of scoring in league games? It's something crazy like that. We scored in every game this season and we're the only team in England to have done that. Which is and really surprising. Maybe, yeah, maybe like the last 10 games under Coleman last year. Once he changed formation and we, we, we kind of had nothing to lose, it's, it's 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 a stupid streak. Forty might be too much, but it's it is a it gives off the impression. Streak. Yeah. Um. So, so I mean, first question is going to be defensive errors dogged us. It was terrible in the early part of the season. Um. Our centre back, our yeah, our centre backs and our defence, Hawaii defence in particular, just kept giving away giving away good chances. Not all of them were taken, obviously, but. We've we've really curtailed that in the last month, bar Rochdale, which we, we saw two absolute howlers from Edwards. Twice he uh, ended up playing a short pass back. I can't see that happening again, but I mean, with errors, you never know. Putting those aside, because you know they haven't really been a feature of our games recently, our biggest weaknesses are defensive mids. Fox is weak defensively, and both of them, Fox and Songo, are very easy to draw out position. Songo's your all-action player. You know, lots of lots of the fan base absolutely love him because he always looks like he's doing something. I would contend that he's actually making more. He, he you know he's making more defensive work for himself to do, and it'd be better off you know bringing out someone and putting in someone who bring out Songo and putting in someone who's more skilled, better on the ball, who will give the opposition fewer chances to run at him. But nevertheless, we saw even against I think it was against Portsmouth. I think it was. It might have been. I think it was Bradford from a throw-in. He's the right defensive midfielder, and yet he ended up being the left furthest left player on the pitch. And two passes later, they were running clean through. Well, not clean. They'd worked into the centre and put a player clean through, only for a fantastic last-ditch challenge from Canavan to deny a one-on-one shot. 
And that's all from Songo just getting drawn across for a throw-in when he should have just held his position and not allowed them to occupy the space that he should have been occupying himself. We've seen that most most with Fox. Fox has got a lot of weaknesses defensively. He's a classic aging, you know, deep-line playmaker. He, the, the reason he worked last season is we probably protected him. This season, we don't. And so in the first half of the season, we saw a lot of attacks come down our right when Salt Fox when Fox was right yeah. defensive midfielder. Now he's left defensive midfielder. We saw see a lot more attacks coming down our left. There's no coincidence in that. I'd expect you to find spaces down the left, running at Soy, who himself is quite slow and can be um can be done by quick wingers. Yeah, I'd expect be, that to be it'll your be best route. on on that side. So it'll be yeah, it'll be him using his craft. Unfortunately, Reese James doesn't really he, he's he's sort of very much old school sort of 2000s fullback he, he, he can cross it a bit he's very good defensively but he's not he's not the sort he's going to torture slow player mm. wait is that on the isn't he a left back our left sorry yeah oh yeah I was going to say no it's our left that, that oh, you're, okay. you're right okay, sorry so you're right we... sorry left back left ah, defense yeah, we... mid and left back we might be starting we <laughs> might be starting Lewis Morgan he uh Morgan will cause some trouble on... he's quick He's good at see. I think that Sawyer would be fine with McGeady because McGeady's got the skill, but Sawyer's a very smart defender. Yeah, Sawyer's weakness is yeah you know, when people stand him up and actually take him on for speed. Morgan will be more of a threat to Sawyer because of that, and then of course he'll also be looking at set pieces and hopefully catch. Well, not hopefully from your perspective. I don't want that to happen, but for you, catching out Leatheran, yeah. especially with balls in and around his six-yard area, that that's where you're going to find. I think your you know most danger most chance of scoring yeah more yeah morgan sort of torched he came on with like 20 minutes to go against rovers and he absolutely torched tired legs it was like something we'd not really seen all season or at least mm. not since gooch dropped out of form but that was that was great to see just created before, that sitter for white oh my god oh my god yeah no i'm we, we've been discussing charlie white at length and it's it's we've seen it happen so much with players and you can tell they've got ability but they just can't handle the weight of being a striker for Sunderland where it's Altador, Danny Graham, countless others. He just feels like he's going to be another one of these, except we're in League One this time, but just another one of these strikers who probably has a fine career at other places, but it just never happens for at Sunderland. I mean it's early days, but yeah, it it's it's not looking great for him. Because you can tell he's got technique and talent but he's just always oh, he's all at sea at the moment it's horrible to watch mm. but yeah no I'm just what I wanted to very quickly touch on before we sort of wrap things up and get predictions in was we're coming towards the end of the season you obviously know your stuff when it comes to league one I was wondering how you sort of see the uh automatic promotion spots playing out who's impressed you down at home park and what you've sort of made of the team so far I've got a feeling you're going to give me bad news but I, I was curious to sort of know how you see things playing out. So I've, I've seen every game this season, uh, bar, bar one, which was uh FA Cup game against Stevenage. Um, I think Luton, are, I, I, to be honest, I'm not sure it's even that debated by anyone. I think Luton, based on in particular their performance against us, the way they've been tearing teams to shreds, their general performance levels, I'd, I'd be amazed if they aren't promoted. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised, but not quite amazed if they don't win the league. That They've got... That, they haven't necessarily got the best into it. They've got very good individual players, but what they've done is they managed to craft them perfectly into an amazing team. It's similar to what Argyle did last year in that they put together a collection of players to make a really good team that's very hard to beat. 
I mean, that's why they're going to win the league. But I'm really undecided on who comes after that. I think Portsmouth's biggest issue has been their midfield, especially since Ben Thompson left. Yeah. He went back to um, Millwall. They haven't looked the same since. They've got less control. It's a bit similar to Argyle, really. They, they had Lowe and um, Curtis, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Causing trouble. They're now picking up from wider positions, deeper positions, very similar to Kerry and Lemire. It's not, not quite the same, but similar. And their impact their impact has been reduced since. I think Portsmouth are dropping out of it. It's, I think it's two horse race between New and Barnsley. And to be honest, I can't tell because I think... I, I'm not really sure what to make of Barnsley. Barnsley actually weren't very good when we played them. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people on this podcast talk about sort of how good Barnsley were, how good their football was. When we played them, it was sort of, I think it would have been maybe a few weeks after we played you. And like, we beat them 4-2. And I remember like a lot of people like, oh, the way they came and played up here, best team we played against. And I remember thinking, they weren't that great. I mean, we, we, we kind of talked, it was our best performance of the season, but I was a bit surprised at how bad they were. We missed two one-on-ones. You know, um, Quickly going back to Ladapo, he's missed an awful lot of one-on-ones this season. Yeah. Two of those came against Barnsley, as well as another very presentable chance. Um, and we had a couple other good chances too. Having said that, they had to change their formation at some point during the first half, and they moved. I think it was, I think it's Kenny Dougal or something like that. I can't quite remember his name. That's probably a Barnsley fan laughing right now. <laughs> um, they basically they moved a player out of position to left back, as I remember. Yeah. And they didn't look quite as good. They moved him from midfield to left back. They didn't look quite as good after that. So it, it, that was reasonably early in the game, half an hour in. So hard to tell. Um, I, to be honest, I think I'm edging towards Barnsley because I've heard how they have performed very well against other sides. They've got a very good midfield, even if they did sell Brad Potts in January. And they've got two They've got yeah two very good strikers in Moore and uh, Woodrow, isn't it now? Yeah, Moore scored us us absolute yeah loads of problems. Scored twice, could have scored more. We didn't yeah we just didn't have anyone to match up against him because he's not only big and strong but he was he was deceptively mobile or at least compared to our centre backs he was. And reminds me a tad of Carl Lafferty if you ever watched him play for Rangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. I can see that. He's obviously. The one thing with Lafferty is the goals sort of come in drips and drabs, but Moore's been mm-hmm. Moore's been up there, hasn't he, this season? Yeah, no, um, it's going to be really interesting. I, I, yeah, it's it's hard for me to say because you see these teams twice a year and you see their goals on Quest, and that's about it. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I mean, interesting it, to hear what other fans think. It's just is I, I, I went for Sunderland the other start of the season, but it's just because I just don't see your, your chance creation being good enough, and I think that. You're going to see a slowdown in your points per game. Yeah, when you rely on good finishing rather than good chance creation, like we are currently, you're liable to those you know dramatic drops in point you know in points per game. And I think that's what's going to hit you in the end. I think that's why I'm going for Barnsley. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And I, I'd love to be able to argue against you and and think of tons of examples why. Who knows? Who knows? We've we've kept mm. up the pace this far. But anyway, um, score prediction for Saturday. Oh, two-one Sunderland. I think. I think given our girls' poor, poor, relatively poor away form, quite poor away performances as well. But I'd be surprised. Yeah, I think I'll just go with two-one. Honestly, it's it's not every time I predict our girls to. Well, it's not quite every time, but I have a record currently of predicting our girls to lose and they win, predicting our to win and they lose. So that could <laughs> could be another repeat of that. But I'd be. 
I'd very much be thinking that Sunderland should win this one. There are holes that they can exploit, and Argyle aren't especially good away from home. Yeah, I think I think I'll go one 0 I think I'll go one 0 I mean, like you said, we're not blowing teams away at the moment, but we do have this great goal scoring streak. And if it's going to be an ugly nip and tuck game, I'll I'll back one of our one of our class attackers to do something, or maybe Grant Ledbit is going to ping one onto someone's head, and I'll go I'll Lee go one Lee Cattle on my. He, he scored the back post true. record in our last home game. He's, I think he's on four. Did I see that that was his first ever goal at the Stadium of Light? That is, yeah, that's mad. That's mad. That is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair to him, there was a point that, yeah, there's, I mean, he's been at Sunderland for nearly 10 seasons, but there was at least two of them where he was a quality defensive midfielder. The less said about the other eight, the better. But we've <laughs> there were there were times where he was very good for us and he's he stayed through through the bad times and the good. So we'll we'll not slander him. We'll not slander him. I'll get enough stick. We'll not we'll not slander Lee Lee Cat and I'll finish. Um, Nick, thanks so much for joining me and thanks, thanks everyone for me. listening in. Yeah, no, you're welcome. You're welcome. And everyone keep it tuned to Roker Report podcast. We've got lots of great stuff coming up in the near future so everyone thanks a lot for listening and that's me checking out with the extra podcast some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDag, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDag is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDag, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.